0: CHAPTER SEVENTY-ONE OF CONSUELO This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. CONSUELO by George Sand CHAPTER SEVENTY-ONE Did I not tell you it was a dreary calling, said Emer resuming the conversation where he had left off in the morning. When the sun shines, all is well. But the sun does not always shine, and your destiny is mutable as the atmosphere. What destiny is not fearable and uncertain, replied Consuelo. When the sky lowers, heaven throws benevolent hearts in our way. It should be the last thing in our thoughts then, "'to accuse Providence just now. "'You are witty, my young friend,' said Mayor, "'but you are from that beautiful land where all are so. "'Believe me, however, my young friend, "'that neither your wit nor your fine voice "'would preserve you from starving "'in these dreary Austrian provinces. "'Were I in your place, "'I would seek fortune and preferment "'under some great prince.' and under whom said consuelo surprised at this remark faith i do not know there are several but is not the queen of hungary a great princess said hayden and is not one protected in her states doubtless replied mayor but her majesty maria theresa detests music and you would be expelled from vienna were you to appear there as wandering troubadours as you are. Just then, Consuela saw at a little distance, in some low-lying land, the lights which he had already perceived, and she pointed them out to Joseph, who forthwith professed a desire to get down, in order to pursue the nearest route to Bivorock. Those lights, replied Amir, are no other than Will-o'-the-Wisp, and many a traveler have they engulfed in those dangerous morasses. Have you never seen them before? Yes, often on the lagoons of Venice, as well as on the lakes of Bohemia. Irmaier discoursed for a long time to the young people on the necessity of establishing themselves and on the few resources they would meet with in Vienna without, however, mentioning where he would advise them to go in preference. At first Joseph was struck with his perseverance, and feared he had discovered his companion's sex. But the apparent sincerity with which Amir addressed her as a youth, and even advised her to go into the army, restored his serenity, and he concluded that the good mayor was one of these easy-going souls who reflect all day long on whatever comes into their head first. Consuela, for her part, took him for a schoolmaster or Protestant clergyman full of reform, education, and conversions. After proceeding for about an hour, they arrived at Bibberock, but the night was so dark that they absolutely could not see. The carriage stopped before an inn, and Mayer was immediately addressed by two men, who took him aside. When they returned to the kitchen where Consuelo and Joseph were drying and warming themselves by the fire, Joseph recognized the two individuals from whom they had separated on the left bank of the Moldau. The first had but one eye. The second, although not deficient in this respect, was not a bit handsomer on that account. The man who had crossed the river with Air Mayer and who had returned with him in the carriage now advanced. The fourth did not make his appearance. They all chattered in a dialect which, Consuelo, although acquainted with so many languages, could not make out. Mayer appeared to exercise authority over the others, for after an animated discussion in a low voice, at the end of which he gave them some direction, they disappeared, with the exception of the one whom Consuelo, in speaking of him to Joseph, called the silent, and who never left Irmaire. Hayden was preparing to serve their frugal supper on the corner of the table in the kitchen, when Irmaire, returning, invited them to share his repast, and pressed them so kindly that they did not venture to refuse. Nevertheless, Consuela partook with reserve of her host's good cheer, while the eager attention of the servants to his numerous wants, and the quantity of wine which he drank, obliged her to abate a little the elevated opinion she had formed of his apostolic virtues. She was particularly shocked at the eagerness which he manifested to make Joseph and herself drink more than they wished, and the vulgar and boisterous gaiety with which he prevented them from mixing their wine with water. She began to grow still more uneasy, however, when Joseph, taking rather more than he should, whether from fatigue or inattention, grew more communicative and animated than she could have wished. At last she grew displeased when he paid no attention to the warnings which she gave him with her elbow and snatching away the glass which Mare was about to fill again. No, sir, said she, we shall not imitate you, if you please. It is not fit that we should. You are strange musicians, said Mare, laughing, with his frank and careless air. Musicians that do not drink, you are the first of the kind that I have met with. And you, sir, said Joseph, are you not a musician? I wager you are. Devil take me if I don't think you are a chapel master to some Saxon prince. Perhaps I am, replied Mayor, smiling, and hence the sympathy which I feel for you, my children. If you be a chapel master, sir, replied Consuelo, there is too great a distance between your powers and ours. "'poor wandering singers that we are, to interest you much. "'There is many a wandering singer who has more talent than one might imagine,' said Mayer. "'And there are very great masters, "'even the chapel masters of the first sovereigns in the world, "'who have begun in this manner. "'What if I were to tell you that I heard this morning on the mountain's brow, "'on the left bank of the Maldau, two charming voices,' which performed a pretty Italian duet, accompanied with delightful and even scientific ritornellos on the violin. Well, this is what happened to me while I breakfasted this morning between nine and ten on a green slope with my friends. But when the musicians who thus delighted me descended the hill, what was my surprise to see two young people, one dressed as a peasant, the other plainer and simpler, "'and without much distinction in his appearance. "'Do not be ashamed or surprised, then, at the goodwill "'which I have displayed toward you. "'But do me the favor to drink to the muses, "'our mutual and divine patronesses.' "'Sir, maestro,' exclaimed the happy Joseph, quite won over, "'let me pledge you. "'Oh, you are a real musician, I am certain.' since you have been delighted with the talent of Signor Bertoni, my companion. No, you shall drink no more, said Consuelo, impatiently snatching away his glass. Nor I either, added she, turning her own down also. We have only our voices to trust to for our support, here professor, and wine spoils the voice. You should encourage us to keep sober." instead of endeavoring to intoxicate us. You speak reasonably, said Mayor, replacing the decanter on the table. Yes, let us take care of the voice. It was well said. You have more prudence than your age would lead one to expect, friend Bertoni, and I am delighted to have witnessed this proof of your self-denial. You will get on well, I see, not only from your prudence, but your talents." You will succeed triumphantly, and I shall have the honor and the pleasure of contributing to your success. Hereupon, the pretended professor, throwing himself back into his chair in an easy position, and speaking with an air of the utmost sincerity and good nature, offered to bring them to Dresden, where he would procure them lessons from the celebrated Hasi and the protection of the Queen of Poland, AND THE ELECTORAL PRINCESS OF SAXONY. THIS PRINCESS, MARIA ANTOINETTE OF AUSTRIA, DAUGHTER OF THE EMPEROR JOSEPH I, AND MARRIED TO AUGUSTUS III, KING OF POLAND, HAD BEEN A PUPIL OF PORPOROS. THERE WAS A RIVALRY EXISTING BETWEEN HIS MASTER AND THE SAXON, AS HASSY WAS NAMED, FOR THE FAVORS OF THE dilettante SOVEREIGN, WHICH WAS THE ORIGINAL CAUSE OF THEIR DEEP ENMITY. Even had Consuela been inclined to seek preferment in the north of Germany, she certainly would not have chosen to appear at this court, where she would have been opposed to the school and the coterie which had triumphed over her master. She had heard enough from the latter in his moments of bitterness and resentment to have little inclination, in any case, to follow the advice of Professor Mayer. As to Joseph... His position was very different. Intoxicated by the good cheer, he imagined he had discovered in Aimea a powerful protector and the promoter of his future fortune. He did not indeed for a moment dream of abandoning Consuelo to follow this new friend, but, excited as he was, he gave himself up to the hope of one day meeting him again. He trusted firmly in his benevolent intentions, and warmly thanked him. Then, led away by his extravagant joy, he took his violin and played completely at random. Irmae, whether unwilling to annoy him by observing his false notes, or whether, as Consuelo thought, he was so indifferent a musician as not to observe them, only applauded him the more. Indeed, his error with regard to her sex, though he had heard her sing, showed it clearly that he had not a very correct ear, since he had been as easily imposed upon as some village trumpeter or player on the trombone. Ehemeyer still continued to press them to accompany him to Dresden. Joseph, though he refused, indeed appeared highly flattered at the offers and promised so warmly to go there as soon as possible that Consuelo was forced to undeceive Ehemeyer. Respecting the possibility of such an arrangement, he cannot think of it at present," said she in a very decided tone. "You know, Joseph," she added, "that cannot be, as you have other designs in view." Amir repeated his seductive offers, and was surprised to find her unassailable, as well as Joseph, whose reason returned the moment Signor Bertoni opened his lips. While this conversation was going on, the silent traveller, who had joined them but for a short time at supper, appeared at the door, and called Irmer, who left the room with him, and Consuelo took advantage of his absence to scold Joseph for his easy credulity in listening, under the influence of wine, to the fine words of any chance companion. "'What, have I done anything wrong then?' said Joseph, frightened." No, replied she, but it is wrong to be so intimate with strangers. By dint of staring at me they will soon perceive, or at least suspect, that I am not what I appear. Although I rubbed my hands with crayons to darken them, and endeavored to keep them as much as possible under the table, it would have been easy to see how weak they were, if happily these two gentlemen had not been so absorbed, one by his bottle and the other by his talk. The most prudent thing we can do now is to remove to some other inn, for I feel anything but comfortable with these new acquaintances who seem to dog our steps. What, said Joseph, would you have us be so ungrateful as to leave this worthy man, and perhaps illustrious professor, without thanking or bidding him adieu? Who knows that it is not the great Hosse himself? I will answer for it, he is no such thing, and if your wits had not been wool-gathering, you would have observed his miserable remarks on music. No master would thus express himself, he is at best some good-natured musician, of the lowest ranks of the orchestra, a babbler, and a good deal of the sort to boot. It is plain from his countenance that he has never blown on anything but brass, AND ONE WOULD SAY FROM HIS LOOK THAT HIS EYES HAD NEVER TAKEN A HIGHER FLIGHT THAN THE FOOTLIGHTS. CORNO, OR CLARINO SECONDO, EXCLAIMED JOSEPH, BURSTING INTO A LAUGH. WELL, HE IS A PLEASANT FELLOW AT ANY RATE. IT IS MORE THAN YOU CAN SAY FOR YOURSELF AT ANY RATE, REPLIED CONSUELO, A LITTLE OUT OF TEMPER. SOVER YOURSELF, AND BID GOOD-BYE IF YOU CHOOSE, BUT LET US GO. "'The rain is falling in torrents. "'Do you hear how it dashes against the panes?' "'I hope you are not going to fall asleep on the table,' said Consuelo, shaking him. "'At this moment, Iamere returned. "'Here is a complete change in our plans,' cried he gaily. "'I expected to be able to sleep here and set out in the morning for charm. "'But behold, my friends will not permit me to proceed.' alleging that my presence is necessary on some business of theirs at Passau. I must yield to the point. By my faith, my children, if I might offer you a piece of advice, it is since I cannot have the pleasure of bringing you to Dresden that you will take advantage of this opportunity. I have always two seats for you in my carriage, as these gentlemen have one of their own. Tomorrow we shall be at Passau about thirty miles from this, and then I shall bid you farewell. You will then be near the Austrian frontier, and you can descend the Danube in boats as far as Vienna, with little expense or difficulty. Joseph thought it an admirable proposal, as it would rest poor Consuelo. It certainly seemed a favorable opportunity, and the navigation on the Danube was an expedient which had not occurred to them. Consuelo agreed, therefore, seeing plainly besides that Joseph was incapable for that evening of taking any precautions with the security of their quarters. Once in the carriage, she had nothing to fear from the observations of her traveling companions, and Eamir declared that they would arrive at Passau before daybreak. Joseph was delighted with her determination. Nevertheless, Consuelo experienced an indefinable repugnance to the arrangement, and the appearance of Iamaya's friends dissatisfied her more and more. She asked him if they also were musicians. All more or less, he replied dryly. They found the carriages ready, the drivers on their seats, and the servants of the inn well pleased with Iamaya's liberality. "'fustling about to serve him till the last moment. "'During an interval of silence, "'in the midst of this confusion, Consuelo heard a groan "'which seemed to issue from the middle of the court. "'She turned toward Joseph, who heard nothing, "'and the groan being again repeated, "'she felt a shudder run through her frame. "'However, as no one appeared to observe it, "'she fancied it might be some dog pining on his chain.' But whatever effort she made to distract her thoughts, the unpleasant impression remained. This stifled cry, proceeding amid the darkness, wind, and rain from among a group of animated and indifferent persons, without her being able to ascertain precisely whether it was an imaginary noise or a human voice, struck her with terror and sadness." Her thoughts instantly reverted to Albert, and, as if she could have shared in the mysterious power with which he seemed endowed, she trembled at the idea of some danger impending over Albert or to herself. In the meantime, the carriage was already in motion. A fresh horse, still stronger than the first, drew it quickly along, while the other carriage, moving on with equal rapidity, was sometimes before and sometimes behind. Joseph chattered afresh with Airmair, and Consuelo endeavored to sleep, pretending indeed to be so already, in order to furnish a pretext for her silence. Fatigue at last overcame her sadness and disquietude, and she fell into a profound sleep. When she awoke, she found that Joseph had fallen asleep also, "'and that Maya was at last silent. "'The rain had ceased, the sky was clear, "'and the day commenced to dawn. "'The country was quite strange to Consuelo, "'except that she saw from time to time "'the summit of a chain of mountains "'that resembled the Burma vault. "'As the heaviness of sleep wore off, "'Consuelo remarked with surprise "'the position of these mountains, "'which should have been on her left hand.' "'whereas they were to the right. "'The stars had now disappeared, "'and the sun, which he expected to see rise in front of her, "'was not yet visible. "'She thought that the range which she saw "'must be another chain than that of the Burm "'but Hermair was snoring, "'and she did not address the driver, "'who was the only one awake at the time. "'The horse now slackened his pace to mount a steep ascent, and the noise of the wheels died away in the moist sand of the road. It was then that Consuela plainly perceived the same low groan that she had already heard in the inn at Beaver The voice seemed to come from behind. She turned around mechanically, and saw nothing but the leathern cushion against which she leaned. She imagined herself the sport of some hallucination, and her thoughts always reverting to Albert, She was certain that he was dying, and that the sounds which he heard were his last sighs. This idea so seized upon her imagination that she was very nearly fainting, and fearing to be suffocated, she asked the driver who had stopped to breathe his horses to allow her to walk up the rest of the hill. He nodded assent, and getting down himself, walked whistling behind the horses. This man was too well-dressed to be the driver of a vehicle by profession, and as he moved, Consuelo thought she saw pistols in his belt. This precaution, in so wild and uninhabited a country, seemed perfectly natural, and besides, the form of the carriage, which Consuelo examined as she walked beside the wheel, denoted that it carried merchandise. It was wide enough to afford space to a coffer behind, such as generally employed to hold dispatches or valuables. But the conveyance did not seem heavily laden, since it was drawn without difficulty by one horse. But what surprised Consuelo much more was to see her shadow project before her, and, turning round, she saw that the sun had risen, and in a part of the horizon opposite to that in which it ought to have been, "'if the vehicle had been proceeding in the direction of Passau. "'Where are we going now?' said she hastily. "'We are turning our backs on Austria.' "'Yes, for half an hour,' he quietly replied. "'We are retracing our steps "'because the bridge over which we had to cross is broken, "'and we are obliged to make a detour of a few miles to find another.' "'Consuelo, somewhat reassured, got into the carriage,' and exchanged a few unimportant observations with Mayer, who was awake, but who soon slept again. Joseph had not moved all the time. They soon gained the summit, and Consuelo now saw before her a long, winding, and somewhat steep road, and the river of which the driver had spoken at the bottom. But as far as the eye could reach, she could see no bridge, and they were still going northward, "'Consuelo, surprised and disturbed, could sleep no more. "'A second hill soon presented itself, "'which the horse seemed too tired to ascend. "'The travellers all got down except Consuelo, "'who still suffered from her feet. "'Again the sobs struck her ear, "'but now so distinctly and so often repeated "'that she could no longer ascribe them "'to any trick of her imagination.' The noise undoubtedly came from the back division of the carriage. She examined it attentively and saw in the corner where A.M.A. always sat a little opening of leather in the form of a wicket which communicated with this recess. She tried to push it open but did not succeed. It had a lock, of which the key was probably in the pocket of the pretended professor, Consuelo, who at once ardent and courageous in such adventures, drew from a pocket in her dress a sharp and strong bladed knife, which he had procured in setting out, perhaps with some vague idea of defending herself against the dangers of the road. Embracing an opportunity when her fellow travelers, and even the driver, whose horse was now in no danger of running off, were in advance— she opened a slit in the panel with a steady hand so as to obtain a glance at the contents of this mysterious case. But what was her surprise and terror when she saw in the narrow cell, which only received air and light from above, a man of athletic proportions, gagged, bound hand and foot, lying covered with blood, and evidently in a state of dreadful suffering and constraint. His face was livid, and he seemed at the point of death. End of chapter 71